This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 769 for release on Sunday, November 19th, 2023. On WaveScan today, radio broadcasting in Vietnam, part one. And we'll have more from the opening plenary of the HSCC B23 Shortwave Conference in Australia. Well, today in WaveScan, we're beginning a new two-part series on the topic of radio broadcasting in a Southeast Asian country with a troubled history that of Vietnam. Here to tell us more is Ray Robinson in Los Angeles. Thanks, Jeff. The area we recognize today as the country of Vietnam was for much of its history under the dominance of one foreign power or another. From 111 BC to 938 AD, there were three different long periods of Chinese domination interspersed with short periods of autonomy. One of the main functions of a unified authority there was to try to prevent flooding on the two major river deltas, the Red River in the north, which flows through Hanoi, and the Mekong in the south, near Saigon. They did this by cooperating in the construction of hydraulic systems, trade exchange, and the repelling of invaders. From 938 to 1862, Vietnam was a monarchy, and the basic nature of Vietnamese society changed very little during the nearly 1,000 years between independence from China in the 10th century and the French conquest in the 19th. French involvement in the area began with the arrival of Catholic missionaries from Paris in the mid-1800s. The predominantly Buddhist country did not receive them well, however, and in response to many incidents in which the missionaries were persecuted, harassed and in some cases executed, and also to expand French influence in Asia, Napoleon III ordered 14 French gunships to attack the port of Da Nang in 1858. And that was followed by a French siege of Saigon from 1859 to 1867, which resulted in French control of all six provinces in the Mekong Delta. In 1882, the French also captured Hanoi in the north, and the Win dynasty surrendered to France in the Treaty of Hue in 1883, and thus began the French colonial era from 1883 to 1954. And in fact, French Indochina not only included all of present-day Vietnam, but from 1893 also included Cambodia and Laos. The first wireless transmitter destined for installation in the French colony of Vietnam became a non-event. 
It was a French-made 150-kilowatt spark transmitter, which was originally intended for installation in Saigon for communication with ships, and also during the hours of darkness with Station FL on the Eiffel Tower in Paris. However, at that time, World War I was brewing in Europe, and instead the transmitter was diverted for installation in Lyon, France, where it carried communication traffic under the call sign YN. The first wireless stations in Vietnam were low-powered units erected around 1920 by the French as communication facilities, and they were located in Hanoi, Saigon and several regional cities. The allocated call signs for these units all began with the letter F. A powerful 500kW spark wireless station was erected in Saigon in 1925, with eight towers standing nearly 500 feet tall. This unit was given the call HZA. Soon afterwards, a 9kW valve transmitter was installed at this location under the call sign FZS. At times, this station also carried program broadcasting, which was heard in Australia, New Zealand and occasionally in the United States. Another shortwave station was erected at Chi Hua on the edge of Saigon by the French in 1930, specifically as a broadcasting station. Less than two years later, this station, Radio Saigon, left the air due to financial constraints. At the beginning of 1939, this facility was relocated to Phu To and reactivated on April 1st. The rather strange identification announcement in English from this station was, quote, This is a special broadcast for the United States. We do not expect that many listeners in that country will hear our transmissions, but we would appreciate reports to be addressed to P.O. Box 412 Saigon, unquote. This station identified both as Radio Saigon and Philco Radio, and signal strength on several channels was reported in Australia as being excellent. The transmitter was a French unit, rated then at 10 kilowatts. Another French transmitter at the same power rating was installed shortly afterwards. Around this time, there were also two other shortwave stations on the air in Saigon, and these identified as Radio Boy Landry and Radio Volant. Hanoi was also on the air from its communication station as Radio Hanoi. It was at this stage that the political scene changed. In June 1940, over in Europe, France surrendered to the German army and Japan claimed the whole of French Indochina, including Vietnam. The Japanese army invaded Vietnam on September 22, 1940 and immediately took control of the shortwave station, Radio Saigon, through the Vichy French colonial administration, which they kept in place as a puppet regime. Two years later, in October 1942, Radio Saigon began to include POW news in its broadcasts, and these reports were closely followed by government authorities in Melbourne, Australia, and also by the legendary Arthur Cushing in New Zealand. Arthur noted that Radio Saigon was heard throughout this period of two and a half years, with generally a good signal on 11770 kHz. In addition to their own locally produced programming during the war, Radio Saigon also carried a relay from Radio Tokyo, rebroadcast from their own shortwave signal. On one occasion, Radio Saigon was actually heard calling Tokyo and asking for hints over the air on how to produce broadcasts directed to Australia. 
Over in Europe, the liberation of France began in June 1944, and on August 20, 1944, Vichy Head of State Marshal Philippe Pétain and other government officials were forcibly relocated under Hitler's orders to southwestern Germany, where they were finally captured in April 1945. On March 9, 1945, the Japanese removed Vichy France's control of Indochina, and the following day, the Japanese personnel themselves took over the on-air activities of Radio Saigon, dropping all POW broadcasts at the end of the following month. In August 1945, the Japanese administration installed Viet Minh personnel in Radio Saigon, who hastily abandoned the station when the British Army arrived shortly afterwards. Following the declaration of peace in the Pacific and Asia, Radio Saigon once again resumed its role as a French radio station on September 26, 1945. However, a few months later, on April 8 the following year, there was a massive explosion at the ammunition dump just opposite the studios of Radio Saigon, and the facility was completely destroyed. Studio operations were transferred to a private house, though the transmitter installation out of town was not affected. The whole facility was upgraded soon afterwards, and it was then on the air on shortwave as Radio Saigon and Radio France Assis, Asia in French. The first issue of World Radio Handbook in 1947 informs us that the station was on the air immediately after the war with two shortwave transmitters at 12 kilowatts, the same two units that were in use before the Pacific Asia War. Late one night, soon after the end of the war, in our editor-in-chief Dr Adrian Peterson's childhood home in a rural area of South Australia, he happened to hear Radio Saigon on medium wave, the first DX report of this revived station. And the highly prized QSL card he received was his first from Southeast Asia. Well, next week, in part two of this topic, we'll look at broadcasting in Vietnam during the period of armed conflict from 1954 to 1973, including, of course, the operation of the American Forces Vietnam Network in South Vietnam. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks, Ray. That was Ray Robinson at The Voice of Hope in Los Angeles. Staying in Asia now, the Asian DX review sent to us by Joe Jacob notes that KBS World Radio, South Korea's international broadcaster that transmits to the world in 11 languages, is celebrating its 70th anniversary this year. Beginning its maiden transmission as the voice of Free Korea in August 1953, KBS World Radio has now transformed itself into a multimedia channel covering various platforms. In a special 70th anniversary program, Karen Choi and producer Yoon So-hyun looked back at the early history of the station. The year 1953 was when the Korean War ended in a ceasefire, and so the whole country was devastated. Right. Korea's per capita income was not even $100, so you can imagine how impoverished the country was. The roots of KBS World Radio stem from these hard times when the Korean people were struggling to rebuild their lives and their motherland. The first day of broadcast was August 15, 1953. This first broadcast aired under the title of Voice of Free Korea. A 15-minute program was aired daily for the U.S. forces stationed in South Korea. It seems it would have been a welcoming addition to the lives of American servicemen in Korea. Well, I have a question for you. 
Do you know what year KBS World Radio started airing abroad? Hmm, let me think about that for a second. Now, if I remember correctly, the Japanese service started broadcasting on December 1st, 1955, and the transmission to Hawaii and northern USA started two years later in 1957. That is correct. The Korean Language Service for Korean Overseas Expats started in 1957. So I imagine many Koreans must have nursed their homesickness by listening to our Korean service. That's right. So in the days when there were no phones or internet, the radio was the only means of staying in touch with their homeland. The KBS World Radio crew must have put their hearts into these programs since they were well aware of the expats' longing for home. I'm sure. And that was when KBS World Radio started to expand their listenership. The Japanese service was launched in 1955 and followed by the French service in 1958. The Russian service started to air in 1961, which is also when our programs first started airing in China. Well, don't forget the German language programs that started airing on December 1st, 1961. Germany was divided into East and West at the time, so you get a pretty good idea why KBS started transmitting in German when you listen to the first broadcast. Es wird ein Message von dem Sprecher der koreanischen Regierung. You can probably sense the tension between capitalism and socialism during the Cold War era from this clip alone. You're right. However, the German service was suspended not long after their first broadcast, but resumed some 20 years later in 1981. The Spanish service also began around the time the German service was first launched, right? That's right. The Spanish service first went on air in August 1962. Since then, roughly 20 Central and South American countries got to hear news from Korea in Spanish. In less than 10 years of service, KBS World Radio was able to reach many different regions around the world. Six language services became available by 1962, just nine years after launching. KBS World Radio from South Korea, celebrating 70 years of broadcasting in 2023. And the HNDX Review mentions that Radio Taiwan International is celebrating its 95th anniversary this year. A special ceremony was held to commemorate the event on September 19th. Here's a report from RTI. This is Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to the news on Radio Taiwan International. I'm Jessica Wu coming to you from Taipei, Taiwan. Radio Taiwan International celebrated its 95th anniversary with an event featuring remarks by Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen on Tuesday. Additional speakers included Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun, Ambassador of St. Vincent and the Grenadines to Taiwan, Andrea Bowman, and RTI Chairperson Cheryl Lai. In her speech, President Tsai said that Taiwan has witnessed important events in the development of Taiwan's democracy over its 95-year history. Taiwan says RTI has carried out its responsibilities from then until now by continuing to cover Taiwan's growing engagement with 
the world. Tsai also said Taiwan's ability to connect people all over the world was demonstrated by the many postcards received in various languages on display at the event. She thanked RTI for its past work and says she hopes RTI will continue to bring the voices of Taiwan to the world. RTI chairperson Cheryl Lai also gave remarks at the event. Lai says RTI is Taiwan's only public media company to broadcast in 20 languages across multiple platforms. Lai says RTI has been an important channel for people in Southeast Asian countries to understand Taiwan. She says the Indonesian, Vietnamese, and Thai language services have a long history at RTI and are important resources for Taiwan's new immigrants and migrant workers. Lai says that Taiwan also began a Ukrainian language social media service following the outbreak of the Russo-Ukrainian war. Lai concluded by saying that as Taiwan grows more vibrant and diverse, RTI will continue to spread Taiwan's voices to all corners of the world. Ambassador Bauman said in her speech that reaching 95 years of service is not an easy accomplishment to achieve. She says RTI represents an excellent model for how to spread the message of democracy and peace across the globe. Radio Taiwan International, celebrating 95 years of broadcasting. Regular WaveScan listeners will recognize the name of Jose Jacob, our frequent reporter from India, who's contributed items to WaveScan for many years. Well, Jose is celebrating his 50th anniversary as a broadcast DXer this month. Jose started DXing in the early 1970s while in high school in Kerala, India. He received his first QSL card from FEBC Radio in the Philippines for a reception report of November 21, 1973. He's since collected around 3,000 QSL cards from radio stations in approximately 130 countries. Jose says that some of his interesting QSLs include the first QSL in Asia from La Voz del Cid, from Radio Clarine in the Dominican Republic. The first QSL in India from the NBC in Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea, and from NRK Norway on 1314 kilohertz medium wave, as well as many first QSLs from Adventist World Radio, All India Radio, and more. He was an official monitor for Radio Deutsche Welle in Germany in the 1970s and 80s. He worked as a QSL secretary at Adventist World Radio in Pune, India, during the early 1980s under Dr. Adrian Peterson, who produced Radio Monitors International and which became later Wavescan. Jose Jacob has been an official monitor for AWR since 1980, as well as editor for the India section of the World Radio TV Handbook and editor of the Focus on India column of the Indian DX Club International in Kolkata. He's currently working as assistant director of the National Institute of Amateur Radio in Hyderabad, India. So congratulations to Jose Jacob, VU2JOS, for 50 years of broadcast DXing. And thanks for your many contributions to this program, WaveScan. In recent weeks, we've presented remarks made by Dale Stagg, CEO of Reach Beyond Australia, at the opening of the HFCC B23 Shortwave Frequency Coordination Conference in Queensland, Australia. Today, we're going to continue with the recording of that opening session, beginning with remarks by yours truly. I'm currently the chairman of the HSCC. Well, good eye, mates. Did I say that right? Very good, Jeff. Thank you, Dale. Um, <laughs> it's good to see you here in Surfer's Paradise. Uh, Dale and Thais and I uh, had a chance to have lunch in Sydney back in April when we were there to... Uh, talk about some of the arrangements for uh, this meeting. Well, it was almost exactly eight years ago 
that we met here in Queensland for the B15 conference, um, but a bit further north in the city of Brisbane. And I'll never forget the kangaroos and the koalas at the wildlife sanctuary there <laughs> that we visited. But a lot has happened in the uh, shortwave world since the B15 conference. Uh, Radio Australia was at that conference, mm -hmm. and it was still on shortwave. It's uh, not on shortwave anymore, but ABC Radio Australia still exists as an international radio service for the Pacific. In fact, a few days ago, we were in Fiji on our way from Los Angeles to uh, Brisbane, and I found that uh, ABC Radio Australia has an FM frequency, 106.6 megahertz in Fiji. I also noted that the BBC World Service has an FM frequency there, 88.2 megahertz, which was very helpful to me because uh, I wanted to hear the latest news reports about uh, Hurricane Idalia, which was uh, uh, on its way to Florida at the time, possibly threatening our <laughs> transmitter site in Okeechobee. Fortunately, it went a little bit uh, west and, and we were okay. On shortwave in Fiji, I could hear Radio Vanuatu on 7260 kHz from the nearby island nation of Vanuatu, which is a member of the Asia-Pacific Broadcasting Union. Well, I want to especially welcome our, our friends from RTC China to the HFCC conference, as they've had to uh, be absent for the past uh, few years due to the pandemic. It's good to see you here again. And welcome to uh, several colleagues from the Voice of Indonesia as well, which is not too far north of us here in Australia. It's good to see you back with us again. Uh, our colleagues from Russia and other countries are joining us by Zoom, I believe, as they're not able to be here in person, so uh, hello to all of them. And our friends at RAI, Radio Difusión Argentina al Exterior, have recently contacted us to indicate their interest in joining the HFCC to coordinate their frequencies for shortwave relays and, and for their shortwave station in Antarctica, which is in fact the only shortwave station in the continent of Antarctica. So things are alive and well on the shortwave bands and with international radio services in general. We wish you a good week of uh, frequency coordination here on the Gold Coast of Australia. And our colleagues at Continental Electronics and the U.S. National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters have invited us to a group dinner on Wednesday. Cal Carter at Continental Electronics is also offering us a hospitality room uh, in the evenings during the conference. Um, do you know what room that is? Okay. That was 2103. Tentatively 2103. And let me also note that there, there are shortwave listeners here in Australia. I had the opportunity to attend the annual general meeting of the Australian Radio DX Club uh, this past Saturday in Brisbane. And they had participants either in person or by Zoom from uh, around Australia. This marks the 58th year of that club, which still publishes a monthly magazine in print and in PDF format via email. Finally, let me thank uh, Ken Lingwood, Dale Stagg, and everyone at Reach Beyond Australia for all of their work and their financial backing as we uh, organized this B23 conference over the past several months. I'm sure it'll be a great success, just as it was in 2015. International shortwave is still alive and well here in Australia with Reach Beyond Australia. So, thanks very much. Thank We're going to try now on Zoom and see if uh, Sri Bhadra is with us uh, from 
the ABU, and he has a few remarks. Shri? Uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, actually, my director, Dr. Vaishan, will be delivering the remarks. Okay. Dr. Vaishan, yeah. Very good. Go right ahead. So, uh, yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, my HFC colleague all over the world, as I understand, at sea. And uh, since a uh, long time, from 1999, uh, the HFCC conference is going on, the conferences, and we have just joined in 1996, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as ABU. And uh, I think this is so. To understand that, it's, it's a fact actually, uh, we have been using as a humanity, we have been using these frequencies and this is our playground uh, communication and it is, it was and it will be, this is inevitable. So uh, I think uh, technically this HFCC conference is one of the best efforts so far has been done uh, to coordinate. We, we have to coordinate, we have to use this platform, this these frequencies inevitably. So, uh, as I said, this is the best effort. And uh, twice a year, we have been uh, joining and enjoying actually uh, to be part of these conferences, uh, representing our members, uh, which is huge. As you know, ABU has uh, the biggest biggest one in the world at the Broadcasting Union. But we encourage our uh, colleagues, uh, our uh, sister unions as well, uh, like ASBU, ASBU and uh, Arab State Broadcasting Union or North American Broadcasting Union. So uh, I'd like to keep it short. Uh, I, I wish all, all of you uh, the, the most efficient and fruitful conference, just like uh, we have so far. And I'd like to, uh, I'd like to invite and uh, looking forward to Welcome all of you in, in January for uh, HFCC conference uh, A24 again. And uh, thank you for uh, all individuals' efforts for today and all over the week. Thank you. So that was the opening plenary of the HFCC B23 shortwave conference in Australia that took place in September to coordinate frequencies for this B-23 broadcast season that began on October 29th. We'll have more about the conference next week on Wavescan. And we end Wavescan today with Vietnamese folk music. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week, the history of broadcasting in Vietnam, part two, and more from the High Frequency Coordination Conference in Australia. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, the Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. 
Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to The Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 